0: You're listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dateville. Welcome. You're listening to episode nine of the Pastor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. And I am Zach Brown. And today we have a special guest. Not our normal brother, Ben. He is uh, laying out this week, and instead we have a special guest, a state missionary from the Alabama Board of Missions, Daniel Edmonds. Thank you. All right. Well, can you tell us a little about yourself?
1: Uh, I have worked with the State Board of Missions for 24 years. As of 2001, I became the director of the office of Sunday School. 2010, they added discipleship. So I'm a state missionary functioning as the director of the office of Sunday School and discipleship. Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Seminary trained at Southern Seminary, then on into Alabama. Uh, Started kind of north and went south, uh, maybe in so many different ways. But uh, started in Huntsville, ARAB Enterprise, and then back as state missionary in Montgomery. At the time, now we're located. uh, The facility is there in Prattville, Alabama. I have a wife, Terry who I've literally known all my life. Her parents and my parents helped plant a church in South Nashville when there was very little there except kind of farm community type stuff. And uh, so I grew up in a mission church. Uh, She and I were not charter members. We were charter bed babies. And uh, and so uh, kind of an interesting history. You know, age 12, we had our first date at a church Valentine banquet, married by 19. Have two children now, son Joshua who uh, has our first granddaughter, Maya, and uh, Zoe is on the way in November, going to make her debut then. And uh, our daughter, Lydia, has our oldest grandchild, who's a boy, Elijah, and he is five years old and quite fun. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've heard that grandparenting gig is better than even the parenting gig.
1: Well, it's like I said during the middle service, you finally become relevant again to <laughs> to your own parents. I mean, for a while when you just have children, nobody knows you anymore. I, for the longest time, even in the state, people would come up to me and go, How's Lydia? <laughs> and I go, Well, she's fine, and thank you for asking
0: about me. I mean well, That's funny. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely know that feeling of oh, so when are you gonna bring the grandbabies to see me? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, Mom, I I'm, could come see you as well. Well, if you have to, I mean, it's, yeah, you can just drop them off. It's not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah, I'll tell my parents now. Maya came to see us, but she drug her parents along with her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for spending your Father's Day with us. We know that's a sacrifice when you got all those grandbabies to be with. Um, so if we can get started, let's give us a recap of what you preached on this morning.
1: Well, really, uh, when Ben contacted me, he told me, said, we really didn't get a chance to celebrate Mother's Day. And he said, so I want you to come on Father's Day, but let's kind of celebrate father and mother. Uh, It seemed like the no-brainer. Scripture, honor your father and mother. So we went there, um, tried to recap it and put it as best I can in context because, as Jesus summarized, of course, the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, So both from the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, We can look back in Deuteronomy 6, where that was first instruction to love God was given. Love your neighbors yourself is in Leviticus 19. Uh, But the whole of the Ten Commandments captures that. But to me, the Fifth Commandment is kind of the hinge point because your first earthly authority figure, your first opportunity to experience love on earth is through your parents. And, and, um, that relationship is so critical. It's the way God designed it. I mean, this is the way it's meant to be. And, um, so honoring your father and mother is not an option. It is a command and in our world of brokenness, it's, it's a hard command for a lot of us. I mean, you know, most of us say, well, I, I don't think I'll be guilty of murder. I may have wanted to, but you know, um, uh, we're, we're going to get away from that one, but there, there are a lot of people because of brokenness that struggle, uh, maybe not all their life, but at different times of their life with honoring your father and mother. But that struggle leads to so many other issues in life. And, and one of the things that even with what's going on around us right now that we do know that part of the problem is uh, the, the destruction of family over the last 50 plus years of our society. And uh, it has gotten us where we are, and it's, it's kind of the seed that has gone in the ground uh, and the crop is coming up, and it's coming up and coming up and coming up. And so we've, we're into multiple generations that the idea of honoring father and mother is, is an option, not a command. It's, uh, well, you're, if you got a father and mother worth honoring, then you're, you're doubly blessed or something. And uh, and so to try to put that back in proper context, that you know brokenness is in the world, um, but God's grace is sufficient for wherever that brokenness has occurred in your life, including if it's with your mother and father, or as a mother and father, if it's with you. Uh, and so to to understand why that relationship is so vitally important in the kingdom, in the church, and and then and why we must. Mm-hmm. Uh, honor father and mother. Those were kind of the two pillars, I guess, that that the sermon was built on, was looking at the importance of mother and father to the church, or father and mother, if we want to say it in the biblical order, and then also looking for our own benefit, why we need to honor our father and mother.
0: Yeah, and I know this is something that, um, you know, Zach and I, one, we've talked about previously on this show, but also it's just something that we talk about all the time, as a staff and as a church, um, because of that idea that what happens at the home, you know, what happens on that father and mother level, is going to affect everything else we do here as a church or as the greater, you know, the universal church. It's all being affected by what's happening in our homes. It's what's happening um, in that parent-child relationship. It's so often. Um, <clears throat> what would you say to somebody who? Um. says, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I get it. Honor your father and your mother. But my dad wasn't a Christian, and he was a pretty terrible guy. You know, my mom did the best she could, but she was kind of playing both roles while my dad was, insert whatever issues here. What, what would you say to somebody that, that brings up that kind of objection, I guess?
1: Well, you know, you can't be heartless and unsympathetic. It's still a command nonetheless. and uh, And commands are given for your benefit. And so um, you don't honor your father and mother simply because of who they are, but who God is and what God's intent in creation was and still is and what is designed and planned for the family. And so really when you get into studying the word a little bit more of honor, it it comes out on, uh, in the arena of respecting because of the authority that has been given to them. So, yeah, your, your father may have been abusive with his authority, but um, by learning to honor that authority and loving God in the midst is where we're going to find the answers, uh, where we're going to find our strength and our hope and our help. Uh, you know, I mentioned in the sermon that, m- that my mother taught me a love for the Bible in her daily visual that I would see her when I would first get up. She's in the Word. Dad was already gone to work. But Dad was my model for living it out in life. And one of the life lessons he taught, we, of course, like most kids, you grow up, you play ball with your dad or whatever, and uh, or a table board game, whatever. And your goal, especially, I think, for us guys, we get this competitive thing related to Dad that, first goal is to beat dad, right? <laughs> and and so you've kind of arrived, you, you've you achieved a step of manhood and and not that some uh, ladies don't have competitive fire and all that kind of stuff, but for a guy, I think that's, that's the big deal. You know, if you got an older brother, it might be beat him first and then you're going to beat dad. I mean, but those, it's, it's kind of that goal that that happens. And so I would have so many times in life, I'd come, you know, just Inches away, it's next shot I win, it's, you know, the whole bit or something. And dad would suddenly stop and change the rules of the game. <laughs> and, of course, he changed the rules to tip it in his favor. Now, I don't need to tell you how frustrating that can be, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. He's the authority figure. What are you going to do? And ultimately, my brother and I both had that experience. I have an older brother. And we finally said, Dad, why do you keep doing that? Why do you?" I mean, we kind of knew. You don't want to lose. That's, that's the deal. That was what was in our mind. He, and, and he said, boys, you need to learn something. Uh, in life, you don't always get to make the rules. But you can decide to play to win. And what God has mapped out for us is how to win in life. Sometimes you don't control the rules. You can't control those in authority over you. But God has mapped out how to win. You still honor those people for the respect that, that is due for the weight that is put upon them in being that authority figure. And so, you know, when we see young people right now that rail against government, I want to know what it was like in their homes, if they were ever taught to honor their father and mother. What kind of homes did they come from? And it's not a matter of whether father and mother was honorable. The relationship is between you and God. And he says, Honor your father and mother so that it may be well with you.
2: And, and Dan, you talked to a, a lot about to kind of echo what Forrest said, you know, we talk about this a lot, the idea of um, specifically with younger generations, you know, um, trying to, to help parents understand the important role that, that they have in their, in their kids' life and their, their kids' future walk with Christ and, and how important it is that, that the, the parents are, are setting that, that good example uh, for their family. Um, but so with me being the youth pastor, obviously my, my heart is kind of geared towards, towards the youth. And so what kind of advice would you give? Like, let's say you're a youth who's listening to this sermon and you get this, this idea, um, that this true idea that, that your parents are supposed to be setting the precedents for your Christian walk, but then, you you know maybe maybe you're a Christian but your parents aren't or maybe maybe they're not setting that that walk for you. How do you as a as a youth have discernment and kind of walk that that bounds between like still having that that respect and and that honor for your parents, but also having that discernment to know when they are leading you closer to Christ and when they're not. Does that does yeah. that question make sense?
1: Well, the, the relationship you got to foster most is of course between you and God, and and know His Word and um. And then you can you can discern, but you can't pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you can't say, I like his word over here, but not honor your father and mother stuff, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, not so much. Uh, so you can't pick and choose. It's all truth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so you live it as truth. And so your, your loving relationship may be more with your father, God, than your earthly father. Uh, and I get that. And I understand how blessed I am with the parents that I have and still have. And even my wife's parents were like secondary parents uh, to me as well. And they both passed in this last year. So, you know, I, I, I kind of get where they're coming from, except that if we're going to live truth, then it's all true. And so we have to step out in that. And and um, and uncomfortable though it may be at times, um, it, it is teaching us how to draw close and how to deal with others because not everybody in life is going to treat you well i mean jesus makes that pretty clear <laughs> um you know you're going to have your troubles and uh and so how do you deal with them well first of all you deal with them through the truth of god's word and your love relationship with him and uh and so um learn from your experience good or bad you know um some of us are blessed with again good father good mother uh, but there still was a lot to learn and there's a lot to learn through that relationship and some of us were not blessed with with a parent that was like mine or you know there are other difficulties there but you still learn and you grow through your experience by leaning on his word and his truth and knowing that it's all true even though it's difficult and so it's kind of like one of the opening lines i use it's, there's a lot about the bible that like being a disciple it's not like it's this real complex idea, but it is difficult. So it's simple but difficult at the same time. It's easy to say, a little tougher to live out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where on the surface, the Christian life is not complicated. It's right. once you dig in and you realize it can seem very cut and dry and easy to begin with, but then you kind of dig into it and realize the application can be much more difficult because many times we want to complicate it because we don't like Maybe the way that seems to us of, you know, well, they don't seem very honorable, so I don't know that God really, I mean, yeah, it says honor my father and mother, but I'm sure that means because they've done something to deserve it, that's not what God's saying. You know, Um, I think the same way we see this played out a lot in marriage, um, which is also another topic we talk about a lot in here, Um, usually with me saying something that I later get myself in trouble. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Luckily, my wife has a great sense of humor, but... um, you know you, you look at that with marriage and the same kind of thing the idea of the bible doesn't teach you that well if your spouse isn't a christian that that's you can just divorce them and and that's okay whatever uh, even though maybe you look at it and say well that doesn't that doesn't sound like it's what would make me the happiest well yeah honoring your father and mother even though they maybe aren't doing what exactly they should be that might not be the thing that in your mind makes you the happiest but god is worried about your holiness and his word is sufficient. So, um, you know, I, I love how you just keep reemphasizing the idea. It's like this is what His word says. It's not up to us to decide which parts we're going to keep. Um, you know, unfortunately, that is the big push today. And today's society is like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, I I think the Bible is a great book. But all that, like, Jesus is the only way. I don't know where to put that. I mean, I, I in one of my classes ran across this book and it was all about all the parts of Paul's letters that this person found to be just horribly offensive and how, you know, she wanted to, to remove them from the Bible or how to read the what she called them the tyrannical texts. <laughs> you know, and you're looking at it and saying the the audacity that you come to God's word and you're like, well, I'm going to cut that section out because I just don't think that one, like there's no way that should apply who are you to do this? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: um, well, one of the keys that you hit on in the midst of all that is that children, and young people, young adults, even median age adults, we were taught to pursue happiness, life, liberty, and the what, pursuit of happiness. The Bible teaches the pursuit of holiness. And so even in, in, in the die cast in our country, in some ways, even though there was... You know, good in our founding fathers, they were also not perfect, and none of us are. And uh, and we can all get in that trap of the, that we're really here to pursue happiness. And if you want to pursue happiness, the next thing you're going to do is negotiate God's word. You're going to recreate God in your image and in your likeness. You're going to say, would God ever deny me X, Y, Z? Well, of course he would. He's your holy father. And he's going to deny you. Why? Because he loves you. And he knows ultimately what is best for you. It's not guesswork for him. Okay. I mean, sometimes his earthly parents, we're like, oh God, help me, help me that I'm doing the right thing here. I mean, you know, we just grab on, hold on for all we're worth at times. I, I get that. But he's not guessing. OK, and, and we got to come to that point in our faith that, that realizes that he's called us to be holy as he is holy. And that most of all in life, what is we're to be doing is pursuing holiness, not happiness. And so but if, if the world can get you to pursue happiness, they can get you to negotiate on holiness. Hmm. And so in teaching Christian worldview and apologetics, I tell my students, as soon as you hear if God stop the conversation. There's no if God. He's made himself clear. God is love, not if God is loving. God is love. That's not negotiable. So anything that you're going to say after if God is going to be incorrect. Because you either know God or you don't know God. So it could be explained to me if God is love as you say. Yeah, we can have conversation but it's not based on, well, I hope maybe God really is who he says he is. No, he is who he says he is. There may be times that I struggle with that. Okay? Why? Because I live in a fallen world and I'm part of the fallen creation. And so there may be times where I struggle with that reality, but the hope that I seek is in affirming that truth, not in denying it, not in trying to renegotiate it and recreate God in my image and make him out of human hands. That's, it's, that's a lose, 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 lose proposition.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I love that you bring up apologetics and worldview because sometimes it, it is kind of a buzzword right now. Apologetics is kind of everywhere in the, in the Christian church. And it can be treated some sometimes as this separate thing that we have like, Oh, well, you know, you're going to go be an elite Christian. You can get into apologetics or yeah, and that idea. But but just in this little conversation, realizing your worldview is affecting everything. It's affecting the way you're treating your parents. It's affecting the way you treat your spouse, the way people around you. I mean, right now, um, you know, we're recording this in the end of June. And our country has been plagued with riots and protests and um you know, racial injustice and all and police brutality, all of these things are out there. And you realize like worldview affects all of that because we can't just look at these things. And if we don't have a true biblical Christ honoring worldview, that's going to change the way we see all of it. One way or the other. We can, you know, if we, we can have the wrong worldview and look at a protest and see a bunch of hoodlums that need to be like beaten and drug off the streets, or we can see a bunch of people that are like, the, the greatest new hope for society, neither one of which is going to be in accordance with a proper biblical worldview. Exactly. Um, so I think it's great that you bring that up because sometimes we we have a tendency to kind of segment that off and say, well, I mean, that's we can play these apologetics like games over here, but this is the real life. No, it's affecting everything we're doing and, and our worldview worldview is affected by how we answer those questions, how we yeah. look at. And,
1: and, and being able to have a proper worldview leads to being able to, to enter good conversations that can help people in the midst of, of this crisis, understanding why they feel the way they feel, and, and being able to con- converse with that and staying topical. The, the, the problem even for us as Christians, when something happens— And we've had some pretty visceral images in front of our faces in the past couple of months. When something happens like that instinctively, we look at through the lens of self. How do I feel about that? Not what does faith say about that? And so it's a struggle for us to finally go, wait a minute, let me get the lens of self off let me get the lens of my skin color off. Let me get the lens of, uh, of my prejudice off. Let me get the lens of my historical... And let me look at the situation through the Word of God. Let me get in the right lens before I open my mouth <laughs> 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 and say something stupid that I'll need to apologize for later. And that's hard for us. I mean, that's hard for me. Amen. And 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 the only way to even come close to that is to go ahead and say you have a worldview. Everyone does. Most of them are pretty convoluted patchwork crazy, (laughs) but you have a worldview, but you need to grow in your faith so that it becomes a more consistent, not a perfectly consistent, a more consistent. Because when I saw some of what I've seen in recent days, my first reaction is keep your mouth closed until you're sure that you're seeing this through the lens of scripture. Strip away everything else and then put it back together through the lens of Scripture before you open your mouth, and and uh, and that's a struggle. That's a struggle for all of us, and uh, and and especially at a time like this, as ministers, it's a struggle for us because most of what we've been trained to do is stripped away right now. I mean, I, I mean, ministers, we don't look for crisis, but we're trained to help people in crisis. So now everybody's in a crisis and our main training is to go to them. And you can't. And and I don't know about you, but the stress of that every day wears on me. And when you feel that kind of stress, you can start spouting off stupid in a hurry. (laughs) You know, So, uh, so confessionally, it's, You know, as much as I teach it, I have to say to my students, there are times that I get caught looking through the wrong lens, too. And, and, you know, repent and return uh, is the word for that. And and stay in the word and stay in prayer and try to be more consistent, seeing as he sees and striving to be holy as he is holy and not just pursuing happiness.
2: And I oftentimes catch myself wondering, like, how much of— like how many of the issues that we have when it comes to this idea of, you know, you mentioned like, it, it's not a pick and choose scripture. You, you believe it all. And, and how much of our fighting back on that is that, that we just aren't taking the time to really understand what it's saying. And we have a, you know, an improper view of it. Cause you, you made a distinction uh, that got me thinking about it you, in, in talking about discipline. When you said we are called to live lives of discipline, you said discipline properly applied isn't about punishment. It's about protection. And just thinking about like how we do ministry here, and and how like strict we tend to be on these rules that you know if we're especially if we're going off campus, we're going to be staying overnight somewhere. Like we have strict rules that that you have to follow, and it's not because we don't want what's best for you. It's not because we don't want you to have fun. It's because we understand we're thinking about these things. We want what's best for the students, and so we have these rules that are put in place, not for punishment, but for protection. And just wondering how much of, you know, going back to a worldview, how often do we find ourselves in those places where, where we don't really want to, to honor God and his whole authority because we're afraid of his punishment without realizing that all of these things, it's not as much punishment as much as it is protection, right? Like God wants us to do this, not specifically for our punishment, but, you know, we always say things like, you know, for for our good and for his glory. Um, but how much of that is, again, rooted to just having an improper worldview of thinking that God is this guy who has all of these strict rules because he wants to punish us, right? Like thinking back towards, you know, studying history, you have, you know, the, the Greek gods like Zeus, who whenever he was bored would, would cast down you know condemnation on people just to, to watch them respond and and sometimes i think like you know if we're not careful especially with with students you know they'll they'll get these things of well you know start to blame god for these things because god just doesn't want me to have this but it's not that god doesn't want you to have a good life it's not that god doesn't you know that god is just worried about punishment but god wants what is best for us and sometimes that involves things that we don't want to do things that we're not comfortable doing or things that that we would rather do something else, but God is calling us to live lives that are holy as he is holy, that live in response to him. And- I think it, I thought of an
0: illustration when you're talking about that, just the idea that it all comes back to the way we're thinking about God to begin with. Right. Uh, and what makes me think of is a fence and the, the fact that if we're looking at a fence, depending on what we believe about who put up the fence will determine what we think about said fence you know you don't go to the zoo well I us say most people don't go to the zoo look at the tiger pen and be like they put this fence up so i can't have any fun no like <laughs> you look at it and you think there's a tiger over there that that's would what eat the me. tigers think yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> right. it's, it's all in your perspective right so you know we look at it and we realize well, that fence is there to protect us from this animal that would devour us in a heartbeat the same fence, if we're not careful, we'll look at it and say, Well, that's just there to I well, mean that's just there because they don't want us to have something good. Or they don't, you know, and and that's the thing. We can be in different times in our life, or or two of us can be going through the same situation. And you look at that and you say, God, you're you're doing this because you don't, you're not, you're not really that loving. Where if you come into it and you know, God is love. And that is an attribute of God that's never going to change. God is a loving God and he is perfect and he's holy. And, and it's the whole thing of if we, if depending on how we look at it, we'll change how we view these things. Um, you know, that, that's something that when, so when everything happened and, um, so Kaylee, my four-year-old daughter passed away. And in that moment, like Everything changed, but because, but prior to that moment, I knew God was a good God and I knew God was a holy, sovereign God. I didn't understand and will never truly understand, but yet there was still something, no matter what, no matter how much I questioned and just like, God, I don't get it. There still was something there that you're just like, I don't get it, but I know I can trust you. And I think that's the difference. It, you know, we could be in the same situation. And, and I I feel like I say this all the time, but there's somebody that needs to hear this, that it's okay to say, God, I don't get it. Like God, be, having that proper worldview, having proper faith is not that you're never going to have questions or that you should never say that to God. Amen. You know, I think sometimes we get that impression of like, well, if you were a super Christian, bad stuff would happen to you and you'd just be like... Thank you, Jesus, for this persecution. No, it's never going to be good. It's never going to be something you enjoy. But you can be in the middle of that suffering and still say, God, you're a good God. I know I can trust you. I hate every minute of this, but I love you and I trust you, God. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I look at Paul writing to the people in in Philippi, and he says, be anxious for nothing.
0: <laughs>
1: I love that. <laughs> and you ever had somebody go, hey, don't worry, <laughs> Don't worry about it. Pray about it.
0: Yeah, it's like somebody saying, "Hey, <laughs> just relax. Yeah, just calm relax. down." That, that just, works every just, time.
1: Just pray about <laughs> it. And and we we're taking those things. He does say that, but we're taking them way out of context. And and, and because of that, when we get on further down, I can do all things we crazy We we're so far out of context. <laughs> that's, we're not in the same that's not, zip code area code.
0: That's not about whatever. playing baseball. Uh, no,
1: no, that's not. But um, <laughs> so, you know, it, we, we get it out. of But here's the thing. If Paul had stopped with be anxious in nothing, but pray about everything with thanksgiving in your heart, we would have been left in the struggle. But then he says, but then think on these things and do the right things. And so there are times in our life that, I mean, you're, you're just describing what for a parent has got to be the most horrific time. And, I, and I, I don't care if you're 80 and you bury your 60-year-old son. You, there's part of you that says that's not the way life is supposed to happen. So, it, I mean, it's difficult in any age. I can't imagine at four. I can't imagine the parents that long for a child and they have a miscarriage. And, and so there is that trouble that has, has come. And it knocks you off kilter, no doubt. But by coming back quickly and saying, but here's what I do know. I don't know if I'll ever have an answer for this. But here's what I do know. And what I do know will cause me to do right things if I stand on that. Now, that's a hard truth, but Jesus spoke a lot of hard truths. <laughs> a friend of mine would say it's like he starts building up the crowd and he's got this great following, and he says, Unless you, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's like, <laughs> 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 and there are some that are not following him anymore. You know, I mean, there's hard sayings. And he, but he warned, I mean, he's honest about that. He's honest about that. Life is not, you know, cupcakes, it's, it's just not. This is a fallen world, and it's going to mistreat you as it mistreated him. But there's hope. There's good news that in him you're you're not you're not broken. You're you're battered. You're beaten up. You you feel like there's hardly a breath left in you, and but you got hope. And and so you 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 have to discipline. And it goes back to that your mind to think on these things. I, I remember early in ministry, I was still in seminary. And uh, a young lady in our church, her fiance was tragically killed. And it is really one of those, it should have never happened kind of things. Not just because of his age, but the situation. It's like, why wasn't anybody thinking kind of, okay? So, again, horrible scene. We were on vacation, got the call, made our way back church member comes out and she said she's asking why 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 we don't you know and of course they're giving her all these platitudes and um the first thing i learned was one go in and again keep your mouth closed Mm -hmm. and listen and let people express their hurt let them express their pain and don't attempt an answer, at least until they ask you pointedly. And so finally she did, and she said, why? Now, I would have asked that, right? That's that's, that's our nature. Why? We want to know why. And And, you know, God gave utterance in that moment, and I looked at her, And I said, if I could give you any answer to that question, what answer would make it all right? She said, there isn't one. And I said, and I don't know that there ever will be one. But here's what I do know. And we started talking about a God who loves and a God who's faithful and a God who still has a plan and a purpose and a God who can walk with her through this valley and and a God who even prepared her for days like this. And I said, here's what we do know. So out of what we do know, we've got to ask, what God should I do to live your truth in this world? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the why the stopped. Not because she didn't have it, but because she knew there was not an answer for that. Maybe somewhere, I mean, if I went and talked to her today and say, have you ever felt like you got an answer to that? She might come up, but, but she still wouldn't say, it makes me feel better about it. I'm glad he's dead. I mean, that's yeah. not going to yeah. happen, right? And um, But she may say, I've come to a measure of understanding. Uh, I, I was headed down the wrong road and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what her answer might be. But the only way she's even going to come to something of a semblance of an answer is to declare what she knows to be true about God. And that's what Paul says. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever holy, think on these things. Go to what you know, and it'll get you through.
0: Yeah, and I've said the same thing about it. First of all, as young pastors, Zach and I, you know, we have that draw to you want to say something. You feel like we're, we're supposed to be the guys that have the answers, which we Don't, but, Mm -hmm. and it's, and being, I think men, that makes it even worse that we're men. So we want to fix things, but you're right. And I've, I've come to realize that God used my daughter's death in in some way. Now I can kind of guess at some things that I see where our life is different or whatever. But if you told me tomorrow, if God came, you know, if, if you said, all right, I have this plan, this is exactly everything that happened. And I'm. This is going to be me being completely honest and not sound preacherly enough. If you told me that three thousand people were saved and all this other stuff, my fleshly side would still be like, hmm. at
1: th- at that expense.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you look at it and say, I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that I can make that decision. And the good news is, I don't have to. That God is in control. And and what you're saying about focusing on that and and just focus on because there's no answer that is ever going to make it. Right, You're not going to be able to say, well, look, this is everything that happened. Because it it wouldn't change anything. God gave us that love for that person, and it's been torn away. So that's, you know, I think what you're talking about is just, I think that's something that we need to store away. Because unfortunately, we're going to need that for the rest of our careers. Yeah,
1: the reality of ministry is you're going to run into that over and over and over again. Yeah. And maybe not in a personal way like that but in people that you're personally God called yeah. to love and care for. And you're going to have to walk with them through stuff like that. And and by the way, it's not going to help a lot of them to say, well, when my daughter was, I mean, yeah, or I've been in your shoes. That's for most of them even an afterthought. Yeah. Um, in fact, many of them will detect you've kind of been there, haven't you?
0: And that's the thing I, I think— that I look back and, and one of the things my pastor did is he was just there. Like that first day, I mean, it's a blur, but he was there all day and didn't, I don't remember a whole lot of like, hey, let me say something really comforting as much as he's just there in the room sitting with us. And, you know, when we're like, why well, do we tell our kids or what? He was there to, to kind of give us some advice that way. But for the most part, it was just, he was available and there. Um, and I think that's something as I've come into the ministry and started trying to minister to others, realizing that can be difficult because we want to fix something. We want to jump into action. Um, It's much easier to like run forward and do something really courageous than it is to just sit there and be present and say, you know, I'm here for what you need.
1: Yeah. The ministry of presence is one of the most powerful ministries we perform. And um, I, I, I tease a lot of times. I said, even Job's friends did well at first. Then they open their mouths, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and so you know, being there for somebody, and on this side an age of of ministry, I can tell you I've been quite surprised through the years when somebody came up to me and said, you know, I just wanted to thank you again because when such and such happened, you were there for me, and and be quite honest with you, a lot of times I'm like. Okay, and I'm, I, I go home trying to think of when that was. But it's because you don't look at that person and remember the difficulty that they went through. And, and so you don't really know how powerful that was at some time. And, and, and that's the other thing, even coming back to this whole idea with honoring father and, and mother I tell my students a lot of times, isn't it a shame that people want to remember you for the worst thing you did in your life? I say, would you quit doing that to everybody else? Try to look at people for the best thing they did. Because all of us have messed up. All of us have sinned Paul and fallen short. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous we got in that, we still did it. And you know, people say, Well, what do you want to be remembered for? I said, Well, I can tell you a lot of things I don't want to be remembered for. Okay? And um and, and I talk about doubting Thomas. One time, one time. <laughs> Give the guy a break. I mean, he was also the one that said, Well, let's go and die with him. I mean, you know, but no, he's doubting Thomas, you know. And I wonder if if he looked at Peter every now and then and says, why don't we call you denying Peter? I mean, you know, come on. Give <laughs> me a break. Right, you know, I mean, I'm being a little silly with that, but that, how do we refer to him as doubting? We don't talk about his, his brave stance. We don't talk about the missionary he became. And, and a lot of these things that are going on right now, we're remembering people at their worst and there's the Paul Harvey, and y'all may not know Paul Harvey, but there's the Paul Harvey rest of the story that we're denying people. How this rogue, awful sinner got saved, and then it's that but God moment. But God took this guy, and in an instant changed, and look what happened, but nobody remembers that.
0: Yeah. And you look at, like, Paul... And you say in today's day and age, we could point to you know, his past and be like, Oh, look at that, and ignore all of the future, all of what they had present. to change
1: his name and put him in witness protection.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, all right. We have covered a lot of territory today, um, but an episode would not be complete without Zach reaching into the Giant bucket of oh. truths.
2: Am I doing it again today? Yeah, we'll let you do it. Because last week went so well, right?
0: <laughs> We're,
2: <letting laughs> <me for laughs> Were you the one so. that drew that one? Yeah, yes. Oh, wonderful. He didn't write it. In his oh. defense,
0: he did not write these questions. These came from the interwebs.
2: All right. Let's 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 get this. Um, cool. Throw it back in. <laughs> yeah.
1: the, delay, the, lo- the, the look the on delay his face. Look alone. Throw okay. that back in.
2: Okay, so. <laughs> would you rather be carried to heaven in a chariot of fire or have God add 15 years to your life? (laughs) Well, uh,
1: well, we can get into some theological depth here. The, The first of all, the chariot of fire reminds you of Elijah, and there's a reason my grandson is Elijah. But, um, the, the great prophet. And he and Enoch were the only two that, if you will, escaped death. Now, the theological speculation is when you get over to Revelation and the two that were killed in the street and left there, it's appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment that that quite possibly is Enoch and Elijah. So, you know, again, there's, the, <laughs> <laughs> there's the rest of that story too. But, uh, you know, just on the surface without trying to uh, chase a theological rabbit or whatever. Uh, yeah, carried. Th- there's a reason God carried him to heaven in, in the fiery chariot, and uh, and he had he had served well. He had his weak moments too, and I don't. I think you know. We 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 remember him at <laughs> uh, with the prophets of Baal and the fire falling and all that. We don't remember him whining about. I'm the only one and Jezebel wants to kill me <laughs> and uh and so uh but even even a guy that was seen as is righteous with with God um had his had his moments that he would say I can tell you plenty that I wished you would forget <laughs> so yeah to pick uh give me the fiery chariot uh I, I I would love to leave that kind of legacy for for others, for my own kids. I, I don't think 15 more years, you know, um, would leave quite the impact.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with the chariot again. 15 more years, uh, you know, uh, compared to the fire chariot to heaven. Yeah, I'm going fire chariot uh I'm not gonna lie. The way things have been going lately definitely is not making me think <laughs> 15 more, years, 15 more years of this. Yeah, uh, I'm more thinking. You know, why don't we all go? Let's just <laughs> uh,
2: All
0: right. What about you, Zach? I mean, it's it's I, a hard decision. But
2: I've got to be the different one. I, I would go with the the 15 years. Um, That's because you're hoping to hit 40. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Um, no, just with 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 my with my heart of hearts being evangelism, discipleship, my first thought was like, you know, yes, the, you know, carried off in the the fiery cherry, it would be, you know, the good outro to go out on. But, um, But at the same time, just my thought is, how could I spend those extra 15 years Um, taking the gospel more places, doing more He has to
1: go get spiritual on what he can do
0: for the kingdom. And we're like, get
2: us out
0: of here. That was the Sunday school answer. We don't even have Sunday school right now. All right. Well, now that uh, Zach has guilted us all. um, All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with Brother Ben. Uh, This is where I normally ask him what his sermon was going to be about, but we don't know. So. Hey, oh, I can give you a topic,
1: and he just has to preach.
0: Ooh, well. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, that was the revelation. Two men in the street. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Who are those two men? Ben has to answer next week. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for being on here. Our our first guest. Hopefully, hopefully we can we can get some more guests with with, especially with how well this one went. That's like like saying
1: you want Ben to be gone more often.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, (laughs) And Zach
0: wants that edited out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Until next week. See you then.